I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we're going to be taking a close look at some of the events that will be moving markets and shaping your investment decisions in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. This week, that means the EU's view of Britain's economy, redefining world trade and the UK's place in the new order, Wall Street records and why earnings still matter. And finally, we'll be finding out what the tech companies can do to stave off both the EU and America. I'm joined on the line by Bruno Waterfield, the Times correspondent in Brussels, and from New York by James Dean, our US business editor. Welcome to you both. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Bruno, can I start with you in Brussels there? The European Commission has published its autumn economic forecast, and perhaps a little unfair, but it seems to be saying, slow down in Britain, pick up in the EU. Is that fair? It is, yes. The Eurozone boosted with um, ECB bond purchases, is soaring ahead at about twice the growth rate um, of Britain, according to uh, their forecasts. So they're, they're basically saying slowdown in growth in Britain is predicted to uh, continue, and they, they have worries that business uh, investment is projected to remain subdued following the period of heightened uh, uncertainty um, following the uh, Brexit vote and negotiations. And they also predict that net export growth will moderate marginally. We're getting reports here. In fact, we're covering a story um, over the past few days about movement of the European headquarters for drug patents and, and drug regulation. We see this in other sectors. Getting the feeling, perhaps, that there is an awful lot to do, a great deal of complicated, detailed negotiations to carry on. And from your perspective, are we blinkered in Britain about what is coming down the line? There's plenty of people with uh, very, very dire predictions. I, I, I don't think it would be fair to say that, that the British public uh, and certainly not uh, British businesses are, are unaware that the um, economic picture isn't isn't very rosy at the moment. So I, I don't think I don't think that is the case. I mean, it's worth noting as well that, that, that the uh, European Commission, in its forecast, which is a, a long a long uh, document, does also uh, warn that there are some downside risks. Um, in terms of the eurozone too, and, and warns that quote the, the recovery remains incomplete, with, with particular worry about private, public and private uh, deleveraging and and uh, low uh, low rates of investment, particularly uh, public uh, investment, which is a, an artifact of the uh, eurozone's uh, very sensible or completely crazy, depending on what view you take, uh, fiscal targets. James over there in America on Wall Street, indeed. What is the view from there? We seem to be getting signals that if we don't make decisions soon, then U.S. investment banks in particular, but U.S. companies over here will start 
to move larger parts of their operation from here to other jurisdictions, presumably within the European Union. And we're getting the warning signals that America's getting fed up with this uncertainty. Is that fair too? I, I think it is fair. I mean, um, I think it became fairly clear at the start of the year that, I mean, for example, the talks of a, a UK-US trade deal were very much you know, secondary to Britain's talks with the EU. And that point has definitely been hammered home over the last few months. Um, I think Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, made some quite telling comments recently about the things that Britain needs to do before it can sort out its relationship with the US. And um, these are all things that, to be honest, seem, seem quite a long way off. These are all things that, before we've even got to an agreement on Britain's exit payment. Um, um, th- th- there's going to be a lot of time uh, time yet before Britain can get to these things. In the meantime, you have people like Lloyd Blankstein, the chief executive of Goldman Sachs. He's uh, started tweeting on his Twitter account. He's talking about enjoying his time in Frankfurt, for example, and uh, you know, hinting that he'll be spending more time there in, in the near future. So um, I mean, I guess the U.S. banks are dealing as best they can with the uncertainty by making contingency plans. But what does seem clear now when you've got Goldman Sachs leasing office space in Frankfurt, um, that, you know, these kind of contingency plans aren't just contingency plans anymore. This is actual this is actual movement abroad and this is actual putting things in place to go abroad. So, yes, I'm sure they're frustrated with the uncertainty, but the uncertainty has become the norm. So they have to act. And, and, and they are. Bruno, over there, we've had warnings from some of the people over here that the French and the Irish in particular, but also, as James mentioned there, the Germans too, making a great bid to attract banks and indeed other businesses to set up within the European Union jurisdiction. They must be quite pleased with the sort of tweets that the Goldman Sachs chief executive is sending out, aren't they? Or chuckling anyway. Yeah, I think so. I think there are are limitations uh, to it, the main one being that, of course, the Eurozone... Uh, and the EU don't, doesn't actually have a, a financial centre. There is no financial centre um, for the Eurozone apart from, apart from London. So some of these moves are, are setting up subsidiary offices uh, in Frankfurt or Paris uh, or Dublin in order to get around the rules on participating inside the single market. So that, on their side, there is a, a problem there, which is that the, um, even after Brexit, uh, uh, there will still be a fragmented financial services uh, market in the eurozone so any big shift from london to frankfurt or paris or wherever in terms of financial services is still further away and there are some difficult political prerequisites uh, for the eurozone in terms of you know banking backstop stops uh, banking union and, and eurozone um, reform so i think some of that is is probably um, overstated. I think it's also important to note that I think business is in denial, particularly British business. The Brexit vote means that regulatory stability is gone. I mean, that's that's the real going to be the real legacy of it. Basically, we are back to, if you like, the 1970s, when every general election is going to mean big policy changes in Britain. The idea of regulatory stability, continuums of policy that last 20 years, uh, as we've seen over the last couple of decades, that's simply are gone now. And I think business is actually in, in, in denial about that. And we see that in, in, in terms of some of the transition demands that British business is making, which frankly are, are pretty in, politically uh, intolerable, I think. Bruno made a point there about some of the overstatement of, of, of the changes. And, and for example, I think there has been an overstatement of the effect that Brexit is going to have on London's status as a financial centre. If you look at the plans of the investment banks that are moving 
operations outside of London into, into European uh, countries, for example, as we, as we just talked about, you know, Goldman Sachs into Frankfurt. At present, that the kind of the amount that they're moving out of London is not a it's, it's, a, it's, it's a part, but it's not a large part of their operations in London. So I think overall, at present, uh, even with the uncertainty around Brexit and the possi- possibility of a, of a no-deal Brexit, the banks still see London very much as their financial centres in, in Europe. But that may change over time. But I, I think at the present, you know, London is, is still seen as the number one very much. Would that be fair, Bruno? I think so. I, I mean, I suppose the battle over where the Eurozone financial services centre would be between uh, Paris uh, Frank- and Frankfurt, that battle just simply hasn't happened yet. And and yes, I mean, I think people are hoovering up the crumbs, the French, perhaps Frankfurt as well, detect there's a bit of loot for them um, out out of Brexit here. But I think a big financial services shake-up, I don't think we're going to see that in the, in the, certainly in the short term, and perhaps not even in the uh, medium term either. When I talk to people in financial services here, I think they're actually more worried that the Brexit uncertainty could start to see a drift um, away from London to New York and Singapore as much as they're concerned about Frankfurt and Paris. All right, well, thank you both for that. Uh, let's move on now for a quick review of the third quarter earnings season that we've had uh, in the US. James, let me start with you. Broadly speaking, most investors who have an exposure to America and American companies in their portfolios should be pretty happy, shouldn't they? We've got record after record close on Wall Street. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think expectations for the third quarter have actually been lowered slightly, uh, in part because of the hurricanes and in part because of there was a certain amount of uh, or uncertainty over Republican tax reforms during the quarter. But I think those expectations have been have been beaten again, not not necessarily blasted through, but certainly um, reports so far have been good. Um, there's been another extremely good quarter for America's tech companies. Obviously, the five largest tech companies in the US are also the five largest companies on the S&P 500 now. So Apple, Facebook, Google, Amazon, they've all uh, made extremely, had extremely strong earnings report this quarter, beating expectations across the board. So yes, it has been another strong one indeed. And I think now that we do have the Republican tax bill in Congress at the moment, you know, kind of in the House Ways and Means Committee at the moment, and the Senate is also starting to chip in with its own bill, um, a bit more clarity is coming through on what the Republican tax cuts will mean. And nobody thinks they'll actually go through in full. Uh, nobody thinks that necessarily the the corporate tax cut will actually go all the way down from 35% uh, to 20%. But the fact that we've actually got something on paper now and that it says pretty much what President Trump promised at the start of the year, um, there's more optimism for the fourth quarter. So it's looking like a good year overall for America's companies. Bruno, given the fact that all the companies that James mentioned there are in or pretty much one way or another in the sights of the European Commission, now they might get clobbered under President Trump's tax proposals and bringing back the money they've got offshore. Any sign then that the European Commission might weigh back a bit in some of their actions against these companies? Well, I think the Commission wants to get to grips uh, with this. A lot of uh, European governments want to uh, get to grips with it, and a lot of uh, a lot of public opinion wants them to to get to grips um, with it. And the 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 European side, the European Commission, is first going to go through the the OECD route. So a lot of these international agreements, transfer pricing agreement, which is very significant in this area, um, is regulated at the OECD level. And I think any shifts on the American side could be very, very important 
in terms of, of changing multilaterally those agreements. Otherwise, the European side will have to act unilaterally. Britain, of course, might not be part of the EU by that time. And there are political risks there, because whilst it's a sort of politically correct, feel-good uh, thing to bash the, the big uh, internet uh, companies, underneath all this is, is some real hesitations um, in giving the um, EU uh, powers and actually tearing down some multilateral agreements such as transfer pricing uh, arrangements that could be harder to, to put together once we've torn them down. James, what's the view over there uh, from the tech companies that you're getting? They, do, they, they're beginning to feel a bit beleaguered? Um, I don't think so, no. Um, they are just, I mean, there are such a scale now that uh, I think these kind of battles, while important on a kind of um, PR basis, uh, when you actually look at the, the fundamentals, the financials, it's just, it, they're kind of unstoppable. I mean, Apple's now America's first $900 billion company, and it's heading towards a trillion dollars. That's, that's larger than uh, the economies of most countries in the world. So um, the amount of power these companies have, is it, it really um, can't be overstated. You've also got uh, the Republican tax plans as well. Part of the part of the plan is to, you know, charge these companies a one-time low rate of tax in order for them to bring their overseas profits uh, into the U.S. This is this was something that uh, President Trump's been banging on about trying to bring this cash back, create more jobs in the U.S. instead of having it sitting in overseas um, havens. So. If those proposals go through, that stands to benefit these companies a huge amount. Apple alone has more than uh, has about $250 billion of, of cash stored in overseas havens. And if you could bring that back on, under a low tax rate, then perhaps the European Commission will find it harder to get its hands on it once that money's gone and spent in the US. So um, I think overall they're quite happy. And obviously, as I mentioned earlier, with their underlying financials powering ahead, um, I don't think... To be honest, that they're too worried about what the European Commission is going to do to them. Bruno, final thought from you there. They don't care. Well, I don't think they care in, in terms of... I don't think this is going to touch them uh, in terms of their finances and in terms of their profits. But I think there is a, a sort of relentless drip-drip uh, in terms of, of, of public opinion. And the, the idea that uh, people are getting away with not paying their taxes, it's not really good PR. I don't think it helps the, the image of companies that have always build themselves as being a bit different, of not doing any any harm, um, and of always and, and of being socially engaged. I don't think that's I don't think that's helping them at all. Okay, well that's a good thought to end on. That's it for now, but do keep up to date with all the latest financial news. And in the coming days, there are a number of companies reporting. So watch out for them. Vodafone, First Group, British Land, Royal Mail, just a few. And at the end of it all, there's still young and go. You'll probably need a drink by then. There's all that and the other news and analysis online on your phone and tablet and in the paper. If you'd like to become a subscriber, then go to thetimes.co.uk and sign up for our daily morning and lunchtime bulletins. If you want to hear us weekly, do subscribe through iTunes. My special thanks to Bruno Waterfield in Brussels and James Dean in New York. They're on Twitter, they're prolific, so do follow them. And please join us again next week. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.